Now, that brings me to the last chapter, chapter 13. I said, you'll recall that chapter 11 is faith chapter. Chapter 12 was the hope chapter. What a hope it offers to you that. We're marching to Zion, but not over yonder in Israel. We're marching to a heavenly Zion. And it ought to be encouragement today to know that, friends, that that's the direction we're going. And so we have in chapter 12 the hope chapter. Now we come to the love chapter. And this brings us to something that I think is quite wonderful. Chapter 10, someone has called it Christians' Privileges. Chapter 11, Christians' Power. Chapter 12, Christians' Progress. And chapter 13, Christians' Practice. I don't exactly accept that as being actually a good outline other than chapter 13. Here we come to the practice of the believer. And he begins by saying, let brotherly love continue. Now, if you have a Bible with good notes, you'll have a note on that. And the note is, brotherly love should be brother love. Brother love. It doesn't mean, friends, that believers are to love like brothers. They are to love because they are brothers. Now, if you're a child of God, you're my brother. I've received recently some letters with all these other letters that I've received. And somebody asked me, I know that you can't read all of them. Friends, when I was at home lying flat on my back, you don't know how wonderful it was to have all those letters to read. And that's what I did. I read every one of them that came to me from all of you folk out there. And somebody said they didn't think I did. But many of those letters came from somebody that in the letter or in the card would say, I'm a black woman or I'm a black man, but I listen to your program and I want you to know that I'm a believer and I love you. And you know, that did something to me. And they use the term black, but a black preacher here in Los Angeles, and maybe I'm saying it wrong, he's told me, he says, Dr. McGee said, you have been wonderful to our people and you try to say the right thing, but call us Afro-Americans. Now, if that's what I should do, I'll be glad to do that. But these letters I get said that. And you know, I want to say this to you. <laughs> what difference does it make about the color of your skin? You're a child of God. He's given you a new heart, and he's washed you white as snow. And believe me, I know a lot of white people today, they sure need to be washed white as snow. But you're my brother, and you're my sister, and we're in the same family. Maybe you don't want to be in my family, but you're in my family. We love each other. May I say to you, this is something that's real. I have put in my notes a triangle. The Christian life can be put like a triangle. At the top, you can put God on one side. You can put yourself on the other. You can put others. And... It's faith and love toward God, and it's love toward others. That's the way we manifest it. Let brother love continue. Now, here is stranger love. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers even, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, there have been those, we are, I think, acquainted with them in Scripture. Remember, Abraham entertained angels unaware. Actually, old Jacob did. He didn't do too much entertaining. He was too busily wrestling 
that night. And Joshua, you remember, the angel appeared to Joshua, so that many have entertained angels unaware. We ought to be careful. Our love is to be exercised with judgment. But we need to recognize that there are folk around us that we could be very helpful to them. We could extend our love to them. And my, I tell you, we might meet some very wonderful people like that. And then it says, remember them that are in bonds is bound with them. Paul, you see, was in bonds himself. He knew a great deal like that. Remember the needy and those in trouble. Show love to those who are in need. You see, the church is a body, and when one member suffers, all of us suffer. Remember them that are in bonds is bound with them, and them which suffer adversity is being yourself also in the body. And we're all in the body of believers. And I sure had an opportunity to test that myself, and forgive me for referring to it so much, but it's sure given me a marvelous illustration. I didn't know there were so many wonderful Christians around today. One dear lady, and I don't shed tears very easily, but I read her letter and shed tears. She said, Dr. McGee, I'm inactive now and I'm not able to do anything. I pray to God that I could just be able to come down and take your disease and let you go on. May I say to you, you don't find that in every church today and every group of believers. And I must admit that That's what the writer here is talking about. We need that today. And there's a lot of it around. We talk a great deal about Christian fellowship around a banquet table or that we meet in a group. But what about that poor saint today that's off yonder lying in a bed somewhere and no one's been visiting them? And many of you could have a wonderful ministry along that line. And that's what he's talking about. This is brother love, not something that you talk about in the church or in some little group you get in. I'm getting a little weary of that today. All of this business of, well, they've coined a phrase, which is actually not a new phrase. They call it body truth. Well, gracious, my friend, that's been in the Scriptures all these years. But you exercise that body truth going out there to that individual out there. We hear very little about that today. Now he says, marriage is honorable in all things. If you think that when he's talking about brother love and sister love, that you're to love the sisters, you're dead wrong. Marriage is honorable in all. And sex is to be exercised in the framework of marriage. God gave marriage to mankind for the welfare of mankind. And any time, and oh, I know I sound like a square, because today this idea of living together without being married is becoming very commonplace among young people. But I'll tell you this, young person, you'll sure pay for it if you attempt to live outside the bonds of marriage, because the home is the very center of the whole social structure. And it's the very center of the church. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Nothing wrong with sex, except today it's being taught too much. And when I was in London, not long ago, I found out that they are going to cut down on teaching sex. It has led to more rapes in school than anything else. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up in school, I was pretty ignorant at first. Well, I sure did learn a whole lot 
in a short time. And I think you don't need all this education today about sex. And also, according to this London report, it is responsible for this epidemic of venereal disease today. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, my friend, you're going to reap, and you're not getting by with it. And how many in the church today think they are? Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You cannot escape. He'll judge you. Then he says, let your conversation, which means your manner of life, be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have For he hath said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Isn't that wonderful to have him say that to you? And I don't care who you are or what you do. This is the response of faith to the Word of God here. And it brings you to the place that you know that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that wonderful? I have a notion that I've got friends today that would forsake me. I may have relatives that would forsake me, but, you know, in the Lord Jesus, he's never going to forsake me. It's wonderful to have him on your side, and I hope you have him on your side. Verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord's my helper, and I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. These Hebrew Christians in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria were really going to face in the next few years punishment. And they were going to face trials. And those that were believers need to remember God wasn't going to forsake them. And they could say, in spite of what happened, God's my helper. And I'll not fear what man will do unto me. And I can't help but come back and make this statement. Isn't it interesting that we had a few of these radicals that during the war in Vietnam, they were all so interested in the POWs. And they, my, they made trips over there, and they led protest rallies. Then the POWs were released. Have you seen any of these folks show any interest in the POWs? You know why? Many of them came back, and they said it wasn't a movie star or a former attorney general that helped me. It was Jesus And many of them turn to Jesus. And it's interesting how the media, the news media, especially television, they turn that off. They didn't like to talk about the POWs. And it's interesting how this country has been made through the news media and all of these radicals. We've about forgotten that there were POWs that were released, friends. Many of them turned to Jesus. And may I say to you, what happened? He never forsook them. He stayed with them, and he's the one that will see you through. I don't think the radicals are going to help you much. I don't think any of these political parties are going to help you much. I don't think any of these politicians, I am tired listening to them, and I guess I'm as tired listening to them as they are listening to me, but I'm tired listening to them. May I say to you, I want to listen to Jesus. He says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And then remember them which have the rule over you, who've spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. I know that there's some ministers that use this that say that the members of the church should obey them. I rather think that the fault here is that of leading 
they are spiritual leaders, and spiritual leaders are to lead folk to Christ. And if a man is presenting Christ and attempting to bring people into the presence of Christ, then that's the man I would say you should be loyal to. But to say you're just to be loyal to a man because he happens to be the pastor of a church, that just doesn't happen to be true. And that's not what Paul is talking about here at all. Now, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to say to you, I feel inadequate to deal with this very marvelous verse. The first thing I want to say is this, just the word, Jesus Christ. And I want to say this to you, that there's no accident in the word of God. That is, no words ever used carelessly. Now, Jesus was his human name. Christ is his title. That speaks of his deity. And, oh, how wonderful this is. This speaks the name Jesus. That links him, if you please, with humanity. That links him with mankind down here. That links him with the most wonderful person in the world. And what you have here is a name and a title. Jesus, name of sweetness. Jesus, sound of love, cheering exiles onward to the rest above. Jesus, oh, the magic of the soft love sound. How it thrills and trembles to creation's bound. Now, Jesus, do you know how wonderful he was as a person when he was down here? I'm just now talking about his humanity. You know, people crowded around him. He was human. He was so human. Actually, the mobs followed him. They loved him. It was the teaching of Jesus they hated. It was not Jesus, the man. He was wonderful, friends. Now, this verse has probably been as misapplied as much as any verse that's in the Word of God. There are those that use it today. They say, well, Jesus was here 1,900 years ago, and he performed miracles. We ought to perform them today. He healed 1,900 years ago, and so we ought to be healing today, and that he's still in the same business. Now, let's understand how he is the same. He's the same in his character and in his person and in his attributes. But he's not the same in the place that he was and performance. Now, I just came back from Israel recently. I didn't see him over there. By the way, I saw very little evidence of him in that land. But 1,900 years ago, he walked through that land over there, and he did heal. 1,900 years ago, he was in Bethlehem, a little baby. But he's no longer a baby, and he's not in Bethlehem. 1,900 years ago, he was a little boy playing around the streets of Nazareth. I walked down the streets of Nazareth. I didn't see him. I saw a lot of little boys, but he's not there. I was in Jerusalem, and I saw Golgotha, and there's not even a cross there today, and he's not on a cross. The whole thought of this epistle is that he is at the right hand of God, seeing that we have a high priest, yonder at the right hand of God, and looking unto Jesus, 
He's the author and finisher of our faith. He did that 1,900 years ago, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, right now, he's up yonder, and someday he's going to come as the king, but he hasn't come yet as the king to the earth to establish his kingdom here. And he hasn't called his church out of the world yet, but he's going to do that. But he is the same in his attributes. Now, in that light, let's look at him. We mentioned last time that these two names are given here, Jesus, Christ, the same. Well, Jesus is that human name that was given to him. Christ is a title, speaks of his messianic mission to this earth, that he is God manifest in the flesh. And it's marvelous how these two are brought together here. Jesus Christ, how wonderful these two are meshed together here. He is Jesus Christ, and he's the same. Now, when he was here 1,900 years ago, it was God who came down to our level. When I'm in that land, I marvel at that. He came to a place where actually there was not great wealth and pomp and ceremony. He didn't come to Rome, the center of power and government. He didn't come to Athens, the great cultural center. He did go to Jerusalem, the great religious center of that day. But he came down to our level. He was a human being. And I want to say this concerning his humanity, because many of us today are so afraid that we will not be understood, that we don't emphasize the humanity of Christ, we emphasize the deity of Christ. Well, that needs emphasizing today because the liberal talks nothing but the humanity of Christ, and I think he misses that. And this is what I mean. I think that Jesus was the most attractive person that ever walked this earth. And I'm now talking about, not because he's God, because he's a man. I think he was a real man. Have you ever noticed that the crowds were attracted to him? The crowds followed him. He was strong but gentle. Little children came to him. But he could drive the money changers out of the temple, and they ran for cover because he was man enough to do it. He was a real man, and he was attractive. He had what we call today charisma. People followed him because they loved him. They were in the presence of a man that was a man in Capernaum. You remember he healed a leper and then had to leave because the crowds came around him and they crowded him so he couldn't even continue his ministry. Publican sinners came to him and that was the thing the religious crowd went after him about. You know, if he came to your town today, I hate to say this, but I don't think he'd come to your church, and I don't think he'd come to my church either. I don't think that's where he'd go. I have a notion you'd find him down where the crowd is. He'd be mixing with the crowd. These little children came to it. I marveled at that. And you remember when he went through Jericho at the end of his ministry, we find there that the crowds lined the way, and little Zacchaeus had to climb up a tree, and our Lord stopped, you remember, and brought that fellow down out of the tree. How wonderful the Lord Jesus was in his person. But now I want to say something very carefully, and it's this. It was the person of Christ that appealed 
it was not his teachings and his great declaration that he was going to die and he'd come to redeem man. That was not popular. And you'll find that at the very beginning of his ministry, that it was his teachings that offended. He talked about he was the bread of life and that he'd come down to give his life that men might have spiritual food. Then he said to them over in John, the 6th chapter, 65, he said, Therefore, I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of the Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Now, that crowd narrowed down. Only 12 stayed with him. Why? Because of his teaching. It is said that Savonarolo in the city of Florence went before the great populace, and he said to them, Be free! And they applauded him. And then he said to them, Be pure! And then they ran him out of town. They didn't want his teaching unless it appeals to them. And the Lord Jesus said to man, you have to turn from sin. You can't live in sin. That I've come to make you free, but I'll have to give my life for you, and you'll have to come as a sinner to me. And sinners came. And when men were desperate, they would come to him. And I believe that's the only way they'll come to him today. Oh, I tell you, friends, he was a very wonderful person. Someone has put it like this. Our blessed Lord combined in one two natures, both complete in perfect manhood, all sublime in Godhood, all replete. As man, he entered Canaan's feast, an humble guest to dine. As God, he moved the water there and changed it into wine. As man, he suffered weariness and rested on a well. As God, he pierced a sinner's heart and saved her soul from hell. As man, he climbed the mountain's height, a supplement to be. As God, he left the place of prayer and walked upon the sea. As man, he wept in heartfelt grief beside a loved one's grave. As God, he burst the bands of death, almighty still to save. As man, he lay within a boat, o'erpowered by needful sleep. As God, he rose, rebuked the wind, and still the angry deep. As man, he yielded to his foes, submitting to be bound. As God, his presence overawed and threw them to the ground. Such was our Lord in life and earth, in dual nature one, the woman's seed in very truth, and God's eternal Son, O child, O Son, O Word made flesh, may thy high praise increase, thou wonderful, thou mighty God, eternal Prince of Peace. May I say to you, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. Now, this is what he was yesterday. But, you know, he's up under God's right hand today. He still wants little children to come to him. He still has his arms out for them, and sinners can still come to him. And he can still say, even to the one that's gone to the very depths, go and sin no more. I can free you. 
And if the Son make you free, you'll be free indeed. You can come to him. A great many people feel gingerly going sometimes into church or into meetings. They feel like they're with a bunch of goody-goodies, and we have to be very careful. You know, if Jesus was there in that meeting, I think you'd hear his laughter. And I think you'd fall in love with him as a person, as a man. There's been something said about him, and very frankly, I spoke against it when I first heard it. But it's got me to thinking. It was said by one of these radicals in the East. He called Jesus a revolutionary. I don't like that. That's not true. But he said Jesus was a gutsy person. And my, how he's been criticized for that. And I join that criticism. I've been thinking it over. Let me say this to you today. I don't agree with it. Did you know that if we really presented Jesus as he really was, he'd appeal to the radical today? Jesus was a man. And he's the same today. But he's God. He could weep at a tomb because he's human, but he could say to Lazarus, come forth. And may that same one today meet you in your need. He can sympathize with you. He can weep with you. He can laugh with you. But he can save your soul. I wish that I could present him like he really was 1,900 years ago when he came to this earth. How wonderful he was. And your sorrow is his sorrow. And your joy is his joy today. And he's going to be the same in the future. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to change. Someday we're going to be in his presence. And how wonderful that's going to be. And now he sums it all up. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same in his attributes, same in his attitude, same in his love, and same today in his person, and he'll never change. But he's not a babe in Bethlehem, and he's not going around through that land doing good. But he's right now at God's right hand, and he is Jesus Christ. He is human, but he's God. You see, he was very human when he was here. He got tired, sat down at a well, because he's tired. That's very human. But he said to the woman that came down to the well, I can give to you the water of life, and you'll never thirst again. No human being can say that. Only God can do that, friend. He was out on the little sea of Galilee, and a storm came up, and he was asleep in the boat. Why? Again, he was weary. He was tired. He's human. But they waked him up. And he looked out over that sea and he rebuked it. And the waves just flattened out. Why? Because he's God. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, a man that he loved, and he wept. And that's human to shed tears. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And friends, that's not human. Only God can do that. But he's wonderful in his humanity, as we said. We attempted to emphasize that. And I do that as we come here to this last part, that he today knows you, understands you. And he's our great high priest. And he's able to save us to the uttermost. Let me read a little something here. I have used this before. And I'm just going to give an excerpt from the little book of Dr. Schofield on the loveliness 
of Christ. And will you listen to this? First of all, as it seems to me, this loveliness of Christ consists in his perfect humanity. Am I understood? I do not now mean that he was a perfect human, but that he was perfectly human. In everything but our sins and our evil natures, he's one with us. He grew in stature and in grace. He labored and wept and prayed and loved. He was tempted in all points as we are, sin apart. With Thomas, we confess him, Lord and God. We adore and revere him. But, beloved, there is no other who establishes with us such intimacy, who comes so close to these human hearts of ours, no one in the universe of whom we are so little afraid. He enters as simply and naturally into our 20th century lives as if he had been reared in the same street. How wonderful he is. He's the same yesterday, but he's the same today, and he's going to be that way on down through eternity. You see, it wasn't the person of Christ that turned man away. It was his teaching that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. They didn't like that kind of teaching, that he was going to die on the cross. And you remember, even though Simon Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he also rebuked him, even at that time, and said, when he mentioned going and dying, he said, Far be that from thee, Lord. May I say to you, this one here, he was one that when men came in contact with him, they found grace and truth. They found sweetness and strength. They found meekness and majesty. They found light and love. He appealed to man. But when he died on the cross, that cross became an offense, and it still is. But Jesus is still attractive. And I think even the radicals today, and I know when they have in the riots up at Berkeley several years ago, one placard had on it this, Jesus, yes. Church, no. May I say to you, that was certainly a condemnation of all of us Christians. We certainly are not representing him as he is. He's attractive, friends, and you ought to know him. Paul, who came to know him, even at the end of his life, found out that he wanted to know him better. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Now that I've retired, I'd like to say to you, my one ambition is to know him and to get out his word. I can't think of anything better than that to do today. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now let me move along. My, I got bogged down here. But this is so wonderful. Verse 9, it says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Isn't it amazing that most of the cults go in for diets? And I believe in a diet. I think food is pretty important as far as the body is concerned. It has nothing to do with your relationship with God Paul says, whether you eat meat or whether you don't eat meat, meat won't commend you to God. And that's what he's trying to say here. Don't go off and these strange cults and this strange teaching that we have today, that diet and ceremonies and ritual 
and going to some little group and studying some little something today, and we got a lot of those abroad, that that was going to make you a super-duper saint. My friend, nothing in the world is going to build you up but the Word of God. And the Word of God won't build you up unless it brings you to Christ, and only the Holy Spirit can take the things of Christ and make them real unto you. Now he says here, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. May I say to you, fellowship actually is not at a church banquet, if I may put it like that. We always hear that today, and I heard it for years as a pastor. Come to the banquet. We're going to have some marvelous Christian fellowship. No, you're not. You're just going out for a good time, and you're just going to fill your little tummy. That's what you're going to do. My friend, may I say the only place that you can have fellowship, that is the word koinonia, is when you are around the Word of God, and the Word of God brings you to the person of Christ, and you see Him in all of His glory. Then's when you're going to have a good time. Our Lord was wonderful, friends. It's terrible to pass Him by. Now, will you notice here in verse 10, we have an altar, whereof? And here's a comparison made between what Israel had under the old covenant in contrast to the better things of the new. Believers have an altar, not the Lord's Supper, not a material altar with a local address, but we have an altar, the throne of grace up yonder. It was a throne of judgment. He condemned me there. But also, when the blood was placed there, I could come and find grace and be saved. Now, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. That means they're consumed. He's speaking of the sin offering here. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. He was outside now, Jesus died outside of the city. He was the sin offering. Remember, the sin offering was taken away from the temple, out yonder. Jesus was our sin offering and paid the price. Now, he says, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Don't mind leaving the temple. Don't mind leaving a ritual. Don't think these things are helpful. Go to him. Go to Christ. Now, we are to go unto him. We are on the way now. We've been told to a heavenly Jerusalem. This is real separation. You know, separation today, the emphasis has been on from. We're separated from something. I don't do this. I don't do that. Separation is not from. It's unto. Paul said he was separated unto the gospel. Separated unto Christ. Separated unto the word of God. In fact, the word Hebrew, and he's writing to the Hebrews here, Hebrew is a word that means the one who crossed over. And Abraham was called a Hebrew. He came from the other side of the Euphrates River. And that means the old life is gone. And the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. And that meant they're delivered from slavery. They are now redeemed, and there's a new life possible. Then they had to cross the Jordan and then they lived in the promised land. They lived in Canaan and the kind of a life that we should live down here. Now we're told we're to go to Jesus. And the Hebrews are told here that we're to go without the camp bearing his reproach. 
These people hated to leave the temple and religion. And there are a lot of Christians today that are so wrapped up in churchianity and think because they're members of a church, they're saved. And a great many folk today need to get away from ritual, need to get away from religion, and come to Christ, friends. Come to Him. And that's real separation. And by the way, it's real salvation. Now he talks here about we're to go forth unto him. And he's talking now as we move into verse 15 to the spiritual life of believers. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. We're priests today, and we can offer to God our own selves, as we've seen. That's in the 12th of Romans. And we can offer to God our gifts and that's in Second Corinthians, the 8th chapter. And we can offer to God our praise, that's here, and then our performance of doing good, and that's verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And when you took that basket of fruit over to that dear lonely sick person, that old lady, that wonderful child of God, but everybody's forgotten her. You took that basket of fruit over. You were a priest offering a sacrifice to God, and it was well-pleasing to him. He took delight in you doing that. And I can't help but say this. When I was down flat on my back, great many people said, did you read all those letters? I read every one of them. You know why? Because every one of those was a sacrifice. There are many people that are lots worse off physically than I was. And they wrote me lovely letters. And may I say to you, many of them helped me in a tangible way. And I want to say, friends, I think that type of thing is a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And that's what he's talking about here. Christianity, if it can't walk in shoe leather, it's no good at all. What we're trying to say here and to see here is this. The Lord Jesus Christ is up yonder right now at God's right hand. That's where the head of the church is, but his feet are down here, right where the rubber meets the road. And he wants Christianity today in shoe leather. He wants to get in shoe leather down here, and he'd like to walk in your shoes. Now, will you notice what he says? Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. Here we have this statement again. We had it in verse 7. The thought back of this is that if you have a pastor that is teaching the Word of God and not bawling you out, not criticizing you, but giving you what the Word of God says, then you're to obey not him, but you're to obey the Word of God as he gives it to you. Be best you didn't hear the word of God if you're not going to obey it. Now, he says something else. And I love this. He says here, pray for us, verse 18. Pray for us. Evidently, the readers of this epistle knew the writer. And I think it was Paul. That little booklet's still available. Anybody that'll write in now and ask for it. Was Paul the author of the epistle? to the Hebrews, and I believe that he was. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. And it's wonderful to pillow your head at night 
and to have a good conscience. Now, a conscience that's enlightened by the Word of God. Now, a great many people that are not walking in the light. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we'll have fellowship with him. But if you and I say that we have fellowship and we walk in darkness, we're lying. John said that. I didn't say it. He said it. Now, will you notice verse 19? He says, But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, that again makes me believe Paul wrote this. This epistle bears so many marks of the apostle Paul. Apparently, he's in prison, and he's saying to these Hebrew Christians, I want to come back and be among you again. After all, he was a Hebrew, and he wanted to be among these people. And very frankly, as we've just seen the word Hebrew, by the way, means the fellow who crossed over. And I wished all of us were Hebrews like that today. That is, cross over to Jesus. Come to him for new life, for new living, and new hope. How wonderful that would be. Now we come to the benediction. I've used this benediction, I'm confident, thousands of times. Verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make your hearts and mind perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, there are several things here that we should say something about. The Lord Jesus is called here the Great Shepherd. He's called, you remember back in Psalm 22, he's the Good Shepherd there, and he calls himself the Good Shepherd in John 10, verse 11, that he's the Good Shepherd of the sheep. And it's the Good Shepherd who dies for the sheep. He's the good shepherd, but he's the great shepherd of the sheep also. And he's the one who perfects the sheep. That is, he builds them up. And that is Psalm 23. He's the one who leads them to still waters and gets you to the grass where it's good and green and very tender, the Word of God, you see. And then... Over in 1 Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd shall appear, and he's coming someday as the chief shepherd. He died in the past as the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd today. He's coming someday as the chief shepherd, and he's going to come for his sheep. And if he started out with a hundred sheep, you know how many sheep he's going to have with him in heaven? Not 99. No, 100. All of them are going to be there with him. Now, we're told here that he is the great shepherd of the sheep and that through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, may I say this is very important to note here. His blood is the basis of every covenant God has ever made. And he makes you perfect. Now, here is the purpose, I guess, of Hebrews. We're told, let us go on under perfection. Now, what does it mean? It means to maturation, that you be a full-grown child of God. It's marvelous to see a little baby win a blue ribbon. But if you come back in 20 years, 
And that little baby is still lying in the cradle saying, da, 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 something's wrong. But there are a lot of saints like that today, you see. God wants you to come to maturation, to grow up. Epistle to the Hebrews will help you do that. It's the reason we stayed in this epistle so long, you see. And it's through that blood of the everlasting covenant, he make you perfect in every good work to do his will. And what is the important thing for a child of God today? What is it? Well, it's to do his will, that he might work his will in your life, working in you that which is well-pleasing in whose sight? His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But now that's the benediction. But notice how personal this is. This is Paul here. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I've written a letter unto you in few words. And I have to smile when Paul says he wrote this in few words. This, to my judgment, is a long letter. But Paul calls it few words. And notice what he says here. Know ye that our brother Timothy, and that sounds like Paul, is set at liberty. And apparently Timothy had been put in prison with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Now, the Bible I'm using today says at the bottom here, and it's not part of the text, written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy. May I say that is just some man's interpretation, like my little book is just an interpretation that Paul wrote. This man could be wrong. I could be wrong. Actually, both of us could be wrong. The important thing is, this is the epistle where the Holy Spirit wrote it, for he takes the things of Christ and he shows them unto us. That's important. And again, let me repeat it. I want you to have the little book about the authorship of this epistle. And as we said before, I wrote that when I was a senior in seminary. It's dogmatic, and it's written by a typical seminary student who thinks he knows everything. I don't know what's happened, but I seem to have forgotten all the wisdom I learned in the past. Now he says, salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. So Paul's in prison in Italy. Now he closes with this wonderful benediction, and I'm going to close with it, and I can't improve on it, and I can't interpret it because it interprets itself. Grace be with you all. Amen. May God richly bless you, my beloved.